Hi, my name is Martin Purnell and welcome to Off Grid Christianity, a weekly podcast for those who go or don't go to church and for those that are disillusioned. This podcast series is to encourage via conversation and not necessarily change your mind prior to listening. You can contact us as well by email, ogc at accessradio.biz, biz is spelled B-I-Z. Check out our Facebook page, Off Grid Christianity, and we have our own website now, offgridchristianity.co.uk. So please enjoy today's guest, who is the former MD of United Christian Broadcasters, who launched a popular quarterly devotional, Word for Today. Our guest's career, however, started in dairy farming and science. A producer and author, our guest was also a parliamentary lobbyist, and was instrumental in getting the law changed as Christian terrestrial radio stations were once illegal in the UK. His e-book, Scandalous Christianity, explained his views on the abuse he witnessed in Christian broadcasting and within Christian organisations. This book also has a dubious first, I get a name check, my first ever in a book. So, why was Christian broadcasting illegal in the UK? What has our guest seen within Christian media that encourages him? What has our guest seen? within Christian media that concerns him. Is there a connection between the dairy trade and Christian broadcasting? We'll find out. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Off Greek Christianity my former boss, and that is Gareth Lidler. Hi, Gareth. How are you doing? Good, sir. Where are we speaking to you today from, by the way? I'm in Wrexham in North Wales. It's good to speak to you, Martin, and you are in Northern Ireland, of course. Well, listen, so many questions to ask you. Before we do, five important questions, or maybe not so important, so we can get a better flavour of who you are, what makes you tick. Question number one, if you could invite anybody from history for an evening meal, alive or dead, so that you could ask them questions, who would it be? So the person I, I would invite to dinner would be David Hathaway. David Hathaway, aged now, I think he's either 91 or 92 or 93. David Hathaway has led more people to Jesus, into a relationship with Jesus than anybody else I can think of in the whole nation. Uh, most of them in places like Russia and Ukraine and the whole Eastern Bloc. David was uh, smuggling Bibles in the 1960s. He was arrested and put in prison in what was then Czechoslovakia. He was actually tortured uh, for his faith. I can't think of any other pastor in this country who's actually been tortured for their faith. Not an English pastor anyway. And um, so David is a remarkable man. He was actually fetched out of that prison in the 1960s by the then Prime Minister, Harold Wilson. Wow. David Hathaway would rank, uh, although he, he's not well publicised in this country, would probably rank well alongside people like Billy Graham. And when David goes to heaven... I think there'll be quite some welcome for that man. So David Hathaway is uh, one of my heroes. I would uh, invite him to dinner at the drop of a hat and just sit there and listen to him. I was privileged once to have been invited to a meeting of church leaders. And at the time I was in Christian broadcasting um, as a leader, I suppose. And um, I had to share a room with David. And it had a big sort of kind of double bed in this room. And he had another kind of little mattress thing set up on the side. And this man of God walked in and said to me, OK, Gareth, which do you want? And I said, David, you have the double bed. I'm not going to slip sleep on a bed while you lie on this little mattress on the floor uh, with a man like you. So we, we got on very well anyway. And uh, he's been a great friend. I wish I could do more to help him. 
He's still on the go. He, I think he's holding campaigns at the moment in Georgia. I think he's just been to Armenia and uh, just carrying on uh, with national days of prayer for the various countries that have left the former Soviet Union. He's got more energy in his early 90s than I have. So David Hathaway would be my guest for dinner, Martin. That's a great answer. And if he said to you, look, it's like this, Gareth, you've only got one question to ask me. What would you ask him? <laughs> Where'd you get the energy, David? And I know what he'd say, the Holy Spirit. Come on, Gareth, get going. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great answer. Thank you. Question two then, Gareth. Who is your favourite biblical character or favourite biblical story or favourite parable, please, good sir? Well, I think King David would come to mind. I just find King David a very normal man in lots of ways. He made mistakes and he repented and came back to the Lord. And God clearly responded well to that. God saw him as a man after his own heart. So King David's life, uh, not an easy life, a lot of war, a lot of war in the life of David. But he did end up with peace on all sides and set the scene for Solomon to be another great king, although Solomon had his failings as well. You know, it just shows you we are human, we have our failings. But David, David was brave. David did kind of all the things I wish I could would be capable of doing. King David. Great answer. Thank you. Question three. Yeah, this would be interesting. If you were prime minister for the day and could change any law or impose a new law, what would it be? I would like to do something about the abortion laws. I would love to be able to do something about the abortion laws. I know it's a contentious subject and um, a lot of ladies see it as a, as a freedom. But uh, from my experience, those that have actually had abortions suffer tremendous um, agony, really, in lots of ways over the loss of a baby. And it's all very well calling the child a fetus, but uh, it's a baby uh, to be born. I don't quite know how I would change them, but I would like to change the abortion laws and somehow create ways for babies to be born rather than aborted. So that's my answer. We haven't had that answer for quite some time. I think in the first six months of doing these podcasts, it was one every like three or four answers would be abortion. So there you go. So you are allowed also to have a frivolous answer, one that can be really silly. Anything that comes to mind? Uh, well, I'm sure I'd like to make everybody wear something purple. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you a Prince fan by any chance then? Purple or maroon. I just love those colours. I don't know why. You're allowed to do that as Prime Minister for the day. My first car was a Mini and it was maroon, built in 1964. Wow. What kind of Mini was it? Well, it was just a Mini 850, you know, standard little Mini. Yeah, the 850. Wow. Question four. Outside of family events, what has been your most enjoyable day out, please, Gareth? My most enjoyable day out of my life. Well, I probably go back to lobbying. I probably go back to May the 9th to May the 10th, 1990, when the government uh, was overruled, the government minister was overruled. I was sitting in the public gallery um, about half past midnight. The government minister announced that he would completely remove the restrictions on religious broadcasting, which he had told me and others to 
to our faces in a meeting in the Home Office that he would never remove. Uh, he was overruled by, that was David Mellor, overruled by the then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. And of all my days out, I think I um, I was able to sort of look down from the uh, from the public balcony on my own. And the poor man had to look up. He looked up as he then announced he would be completely remove the restrictions on religious broadcasting. Uh, that was some answer to prayer. We'd been fasting that day, and um, I shall never forget that. I was just, I was shocked and, and amazed, really. And um, they removed the restrictions uh, bit by bit after that. Wow. And that was probably my most enjoyable day out from my home. Wow. The fact that he looked up and he most probably saw you as well. He certainly did. Yeah. Have you ever had a chance to talk to him about that since? No, not really. I uh, I haven't had a chance. I'm not sure what I'd say. I'm not sure even if he'd remember it. I suspect it might be one of those things he'd rather not remember, being overruled by the Prime Minister mm. and then having to stand in the House of Commons. And because the public gallery was empty at that time of night, there was just me there. I probably stood out like a sore thumb, sitting above him, looking down on them all and... Um, I mean, I, I know I, I'm not wanting to rub anybody's nose in the ground, as it were. But, hey, you know, we campaigned long and hard and it looked as though we were going to lose everything. And then somehow God turned that one around. Well, and we'll talk about that later on. So question number five then, Gareth, what has been your most embarrassing moment to date, please, good sir? Well, I'm not sure I want to tell you, Martin. But anyway, <laughs> I suppose so. All right. There was a seminar on networking ahead of the internet, really, the development of networking. So I had this bright idea to take our sort of a network um, that we had developed to to show a couple of computers connected up, um, really a kind of preview of what the internet would be like. And it wasn't ready. And I made the mistake of accepting the offer from this teacher from this school in North Manchester who developed a system of uh, allowing two BBC computers to communicate. So I duly took along uh, Mr. O'Callaghan's system, connected them up, and I uh, was in front of, and you're talking about uh, UMIST, I think, Manchester University Science University. And uh, so this was a really serious networking conference. And I connected these up at the front. And they didn't work. So that was a disaster. You know, it was such a disaster. I couldn't really answer any of the questions. And so it was a complete failure of a presentation. And I don't think I've ever had one like that before or after where literally everything went wrong. So uh, you asked for my most embarrassing moment. So that was it. And I'm pretty sure it was at UMIS, not Manchester University, the other university there in Manchester dealing with science and technology. And it was a disaster. But hey, you know, you put yourself on the front line of technology. Sometimes things just go wrong. And sometimes they go like 120% wrong. But there you go. And it's what you do with it. But in this case, you couldn't do anything to dig yourself out of. It just didn't work. End of. Move on. It was really embarrassing. Let's move on quickly, Martin. <laughs> Thank you. You've already alluded to Christian broadcasting being illegal. But before we get to that, you were brought up on a dairy farm or in dairy land. What made you want to get involved in radio? Yeah, I, I was brought up on a farm on the Cheshire Plain. I had to milk 100 cows morning and night. And so I learned to work 
and I still work hard. My dear uh, late father certainly taught me to work. <laughs> no chance to have a cold or anything. It was get out and build those cows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it did me any harm looking back, although it was very hard at the time. So I went off to school. I went to a school in, in, in Chester called the King School. I then went to the Royal Agricultural College. I think I was the youngest student. Well, I was the youngest student in that year. I then became a Christian. I was uh, met Jesus through the Christian Union. They had a house party. And I went there and I had a very strong encounter with the Holy Spirit as well. You know, very strong encounter with the Holy Spirit. And um, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then went home to farm for a few years and felt that the right thing to do was to go back to studying. So I went off to college, got, got three or four A-levels in biology, chemistry, physics, and human biology. So if you ever want to be, become a scientist, that's usually a pretty good lineup yeah. to, uh, to use. Went off to university. Uh, I did well in university. I, I um, studied science, general science, came out with a distinction. Actually, even before I graduated, I was in a training course in Hempstead in England with Apple UK when the, the company was unknown and it was kind of like a joke name. And uh, I worked with Apple, this microcomputer company from nowhere. And people laughed at the name then. They don't laugh at the name now. Oh. And uh, so I worked with Apple for a number of years. And, and well, the company I was with actually was Northern Computers. And we were particularly obsessed, really, a little bit, really, with networking. So we made a contribution to the whole sort of world of networking, courtesy not of me, but of our technical manager, um, who's actually gone to heaven now. He uh, went, ended up in uh, Silicon Valley in California and then came back to the Northeast. Last I heard of Pete Beer, he, he'd contracted cancer mm -hmm. and then he died. And uh, as I say, went to heaven. He was Christian like me. Uh, but we made our contribution to networking, which kind of became a contribution to what is now the Internet. Um, I then, after five years in computers, I had a really bad headache. You just had to absorb so much in that business, and it was changing so fast. You know, you think it's it's come from the Apple IIe and the BBC computer, or even the Acorn Atom, which preceded the BBC computer. People don't really remember that. They remember Sinclair mm. and his little uh, contribution. But, uh, you know, you think it's moved on to iPhones and Androids and uh, laptops. So things are very different from what they were then. Although I have to say, I mean, I am the least of the pioneers, but there were many of us, uh, particularly in the education, you know, for sector dealing with providing computers so children could learn and learn this technology and, uh, and be prepared for a new work environment. So we were ahead of our time, really in the 80s. But one thing people like me were doing was calling for open architecture. You know, we, we wanted it to all be as open as possible. Looking back, that was a huge mistake. We had no idea. I mean, there wasn't a single hacker in the world because the internet didn't exist. Yes. Well, now here we are. Millions, billions are going missing around the world, courtesy of this whole world of hacking. Uh, it's not a safe environment. So as a man who once uh, advocated connectivity in the digital world, I now really believe in disconnectivity. You know, if you could disconnect it, do. 
because um, I've had first-hand experience of hacking. I've been to lots of cybersecurity seminars, and frankly, it's not a safe environment. So you asked me about my career. Hey, yeah. So I, from computing, I then went to work at Multipoint in Whittam in Essex. I know it's a bit of a jump in satellite TV. I worked with a team of engineers. They, not me, I hasten to add, developed a uh, what's called a low threshold receiver uh, and helped to develop that to the point where you could put a 500 centimeter dish on a building. And that was the planning regulation in the UK. And so that opened up the world to all the satellite dishes on on domestic buildings and in people's homes. And so we were pioneering there. And then from there, I made the jump to United Christian Broadcasters, who was a sort, it's a sort of startup um, assisted by New Zealand and Australia. Yes, you know, Christian broadcasting was not legal. So we had to broadcast overnight on the Isle of Man. So how's that for a career path, Martin? That's not bad, is it? Going back then to when you were liaising with Apple, anyone famous that we now know of that you worked with at the time? Uh, not really. We were dealing with Apple UK, but of course, um, Miss, Messrs. Wozniak and uh, Steve Jobs were on the other end of the line, as it were, in in America. And to be honest, it wasn't that good, really. I mean, the Apple IIe was ahead of its time in some ways, but it didn't really work properly. You know, I've seen the other side of the, this business. I remember we had a, a repair department, a um, an engineering department run by this guy who'd come out of the military. I think he'd come out of the RAF. And I can remember going in there and there were Apple IIe's stacked to the ceiling of the, um, of the reception area for the uh, um, engineering department because they were all broken. So we we had problems, you know. You, if you're actually at the front end, you see all the problems. Yeah. So so Apple had difficulties in the early days. It seems to me that these days uh, they be, they become much more technically competent, which they had to do, of course, in order to become one of the biggest, if not the biggest, company in the world. So um, yeah. it's a very very good experience dealing with Apple in the early days, but it wasn't easy. And even worse, Acorn Computers and the BBC Computer, that was a disaster in the making to start with. I remember our first BBC Computer exploding into flames, and we had like thousands of outstanding orders for schools, and you couldn't put a computer in the school, which is likely to explode into flames. So we had problems. But hey, you know, it's interesting. In the end, you overcome those problems. And here we are in the digital world that we have today mostly driven by America, but it was partly driven from this country. Wow. And the internet at the time, was that around when uh, you were at your height? No, not at all. I mean, I was obsessed with connectivity. So, you know, if you'd come and parked your car next to mine in the car park, I might have stuck a wire under the bonnet and tried to connect up to yours. I was so obsessed with it. I used to go around the schools with, uh, we had this like, we called it the Acorn trailer, I think. Uh, we basically it was set up like a classroom, and so we tried to impress the teachers. So what we did, we had a a, a floppy disk which was being shared by yeah. I think there were about seven little Acorn atoms, and then replaced by BBC computers in this thing. And I'd stick a disk in, and we 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 auto booted this thing, and we played to to Carter in C major. And the way we did it was to have all the computers playing the notes in unison like an orchestra 
And a teacher would come in and see this and think, wow, this is fantastic. You know, this is this is really creative use for computers. But um, looking back, of course, that would have been a disaster if that was implemented on the Internet, because uh, what you don't want is a hacker having that much control over all the computers, whether they be in a classroom or people's homes or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, yes, very interesting to be in on the early stages of the Internet. I did actually have a, a sort of mini version of the internet, which we demonstrated at the uh, PCW show, his personal computer world show at Olympia in 1984. And we put it on the Amstrad stand and um, we connected up things like an IBM PC to, um, I don't know, BBCs and, and Apples and other. We actually connected this lot with a hard disk system and a common bus or interface, and we were able to demonstrate a sort of mini version of the internet. And I remember along came Mr. Alan Sugar, who came up to me and said, you know, Gareth, can you just show me what you've got here? What, what's this? So I explained to him, you know, this is this will become the system instead of this computer here. It, 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 communicating, it'll be in Australia, and you'll be able to send it data and have things coming back. And this guy, who is now a billionaire, interestingly enough, actually turned around on me and said, huh, That'll never work, and walked off. So, Mr. Now, in all fairness to Mr. Sugar, he's really a trader, not an innovator. He gets other people's innovations and uh, trades with them. But he missed missed a uh, an open goal there. And uh, if he'd realised what I was showing him, maybe he would be a multi-billionaire rather than just a billionaire. Just rub it in even more. You said you're on the Amstrad stand at the time. Yeah, we 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 developed a hard disk for them to demonstrate their what were really very weak memory word processors at the time yeah so we put this hard disk there and we took the trouble to connect up these other computers just to make it look really uh what would have been then in 1984 a little bit spectacular yeah uh they missed they missed the yeah, because the irony is that was his company, wasn't it? That was Alan Sugar's company. That's what Amstrad stood for. AMS was Alan, whatever, Sugar Trading. Alan Michael Sugar Trading. Yes, Amstrad. Yeah. That was his company. Yeah, it was his company. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, technical innovation is, um, you know, it's not a clear cut thing. And, um, you know, he probably had no idea that that young chap there with those computers had something that would end up being developed you know, it, it wasn't just our network, other networks were pulled together. And the real change, I think, was made when BT, British Telecom, opened up the switching mechanisms so that you could actually get rid of those, um, I can't remember the name of them, but anyway, those squealing things that... Uh, yeah, the modems. Modems, modems. Modulator, demodulator. You know more than me. <laughs> I can remember. <laughs> I was just in the early stages of it all, so, you know. Wow. Gareth, earlier on in your most embarrassing moment, you talked about how it went horribly wrong at uh, Manchester University. So what made you want to go into broadcasting then? Well, I, I didn't particularly want to go into broadcasting, but I wanted to do something about Christian broadcasting. At the time, there was no obvious outlet for Christian music, particularly contemporary Christian music, gospel music. You know, a lot of the things that we see around now just didn't exist then. Well, they did exist, but they didn't get any airtime. So that's what inspired me to want to set up something Christian 
in radio and television. So how did it come about then? Well, somehow I found out about UCB, United Christian Broadcasters, went down to Stoke where they were, went to see them, was rather shocked by the uh, conditions. Yeah, but to go from a job that I would have thought being very well paid to a startup Christian company that's reliant on charity, that must have been some sort of struggle, I would have thought, for you to say, do you know what, I'm going to jump ship. What happened? Uh, well, I just made the decision and uh, I had to believe that uh, the zero wage that I was moving to would be somehow provided. And it has been from that day to this. I'm in the middle of a very large uh, uh, medical financial project at the moment, biggest thing I've ever been involved in my life. And um, we are trying to finish it off. It's costing an arm and a leg. We're uh, struggling. But we are in the finishing stages of that. So I've been doing that sort of thing for ever since I left Multipoint. So we're talking about 1987, 88. So we're talking about 35 years now. And uh, it hasn't got any easier. But if you try and do some pioneering, sometimes uh, there are challenges. This particular one has been the worst of all. We were hit by COVID working in the medical uh, financial area. We were hit very badly by COVID. We lost quite a lot of people who died, uh, who were involved. Uh, a lot of people, actually, pretty well all the people we started off with. So that has created all sorts of problems, not least financial problems. But it's a miracle that we have still survived and we're still here to tell that, or I'm still here to tell the story. And... Um, we will finish the job off. It'll be the new year now, uh, sometime in January. That's the latest challenge, but it all started back then in 19... Well, the end of 87, beginning of 88, as I say, 35 years ago. So for those that are listening at the moment, and we will get back to the story of you know, UCB, United Christian Broadcasters, and, and everything else. For those that are listening at the moment and saying, well, do you know what? I've always wanted to do this, but I'm just scared. Um, I'm scared of taking risks. I've got a nice lifestyle or maybe they haven't got a nice lifestyle, and they need encouragement, what would you say? Well, it's back to King David. David had a pretty good life sorted out without uh, all the dangers and problems that were thrust upon him. But um, if that's what God's called you to do, and you're sure of it, then my answer to that is just try the doors. See, you know, go knocking on doors. If they open, they open. Uh, the doors have opened for me along the way. It's been absolutely treacherous in uh, recent years, but hey, you know, um, if that's what God has called you to do, get on and do it, regardless of the challenges. There'll always be challenges, but whatever you do in life, there'll be challenges. So you might as well do what you feel God has called you to do. Okay, but looking back on your past 30-odd years, 40 years of doing this, any regrets about doing it? Well, I think I think there are regrets, yes, but, you, you, you know, you can't live on regrets. You look back and you think, well, it could have been a lot easier could have had a lot more money, could have done this, could have done that. But um, if God's called you to do something, the best thing I can say is just go for it. Just go for it. If the doors don't open, well, they don't open. But if they do, you know, knock on the doors and see what God opens up. So there you are. You've made your decision to move to Stoke-on-Trent or certainly to work from Stoke-on-Trent to get this fledgling company on board. What do you remember of those times? Well, it was very hard. It was a cold, old warehouse building we started off in. Uh, I remember going to the Isle of Man. I was a bit wild then, really, fly to the Isle of Man at the end of a day's work. 
in Stoke and work all night on the Isle of Man. But on the Isle of Man, I did develop a, a vision, if you like, for the thing that I want to do for the future. And that's why I'm involved in this medical financial project. So I'm concerned that there is some opportunity for Christians, the Christian community, to make a contribution to the news system, the new, a news channel, effectively a news TV channel. And the reason I say that is because nobody else seems to be capable of presenting the news in a way that doesn't just make everybody depressed. And it's surprising how time and time again, they all steer to the same end result, which simply depresses people when they try and tune into the news. So when I was, was on the Isle of Man overnight, where there was a teleprinter, a room with a teleprinter, and uh, it was spewing out paper all night, and a great wad of paper at the base of that uh, thing. And uh, when I was working there overnight, uh, you know, there's only so much you could do with the presenter on air. So I was getting bored. So I'd wander off to the teleprinter room and read the news as it was coming out of the um, Reuters or the Press Association. And it was fascinating in those days. You know, you had these wide printer with this paper and you just read the stories. There were funny stories. There were stupid stories. There were animal stories. There were tragic stories coming in from all over the world. I had a great wadge of paper underneath. I thought this was absolutely fantastic. It was really interesting. And I shall never forget one night I'd been reading all this stuff. And then it was time to go home. Manx Radio were opening up with their early morning broadcast. So they sent a taxi for us to the Manx Radio building above Douglas Head. Douglas is the capital of the Isle of Man. And we got in the taxi and he was taking us to our either a little hotel or B&B &B that we were staying in. And this taxi driver turned on the news and I recognized it. I recognized that somebody had gone through that great watch of paper and picked out a murder there, a murder here, tragedy there, a flood there, a disaster here, another murder there, put it together, put it out on the air and called it the news. Well, it wasn't the news. It was the worst things that anybody could find happening anywhere in the world, cobbled together and put out on the hour and nicknamed the news. Well, it's not the news. Floods come to an end. You know, good things happen around the world. Disasters, people recover from disasters. But are the cameras anywhere near? No, they've moved on to another disaster, another war, another tragedy. You know, they have concentrated mm. on where there are guns and fighting and the worst things that are happening to people anywhere in the world. Now, you can't put the news out without mentioning the bad stuff. But for every item of bad news, there should be an item of good news. There's got to be some balance, right? The whole world isn't engulfed in war and fighting. But if you looked at the news, you'd think nothing else was happening to humanity other than fighting and war. Yeah, yeah. You be Stoke-on-Trent, but you're having to go to the Manx Radio in the Isle of Man. And I did say at the very beginning that Christian terrestrial radio was illegal in the UK at one stage. So why did you go to the Isle of Man? Well, the Isle of Man was the only place that would allow Christian broadcasting in the, in the British Isles at the time. But when you say illegal, basically there was no regulation. There were no laws for religious broadcasting. And so really it needed somebody 
to have to go and lobby Parliament and get involved. And that person ended up being me. So I went down to London. I started working with some very dear people, Lord Halsbury, Lady Watherston. They've gone to heaven now, those dear people. But uh, there was the National Council for Christian Standards. And we worked away at lobbying for years. It took some years to lobby, working day and night, really, to get the laws changed so they could allow Christian broadcasting. So to cut a long story short, the minister, David Meller, who I dealt with at the first stage, um, refused. He was in the end overruled, actually, by the prime minister, Margaret Thatcher. She ended up sending me a very nice letter, for which I'm very grateful. And I know she's a controversial lady, mm. but hey, she did right by us. So honour where honour is due. And she uh, made David Meller change the law. I was sent home to write amendments. And I'd never written an amendment before. I remember sitting down at my desk, and it could well have been the, the one I'm sitting at at the moment, actually, and looking out the window at the fields and trees and thinking, I actually prayed a prayer. Oh, God. How do I write an amendment? It was that basic. And I had this idea just come into my head to write my my dream amendment. So it was like delete, 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 all the restrictions. I gave it to Lord Halsbury, half expecting him to throw it back in my face, which he'd done with some of my speeches that I'd written for him. Basically, Gareth, go away and write it again. But no, in this case, he took it away, put it down in his name and Lord Caldicott, and then the government must have seen this. They wouldn't allow mere members of the House of Lords to legislate. So suddenly the the, uh, the government minister's name, Earl Ferris, appeared above the amendments. They became government amendments. They were voted through on the nod in the House of Lords and then the House of Commons uh, as a result of uh, the minister being effectively told. Handbag was the term they used in those days when the female prime minister changed the mind of a government minister, and uh, they became uh, law. Very rare for somebody who's not a civil servant to write legislation. Very rare indeed for somebody who's not a lawyer or a civil servant to write legislation. But nobody knew who'd written it. And um, it went down as a government amendment. And that's how we managed to get uh, the first stages of regulation for religious broadcasting, most particularly Christian broadcasting. I uh, had to do a similar thing, had to appear in front of committees at the House of Commons and the House of Lords, had to do something similar in the Irish Republic in Dublin, in the uh, in the Oroctus, the Doyle Aaron and the Senate there, and also uh, had to appear in front of committees in Stormont Assembly in Northern Ireland. We got the law changed. And then the government introduced a new law in 1996 for digital broadcasting, they omitted religion, and somehow they, the civil servants found a, a rather strange way to bring back the ban on religious broadcasting by saying that it related back to the 1984 Act before all of our legislative changes in 1990. And so we had to go and campaign again, and campaign this time with Tony Blair's government. And they put up a fight. They, they refused point blank. I actually found them to be more arrogant than the Conservatives, so much for New Labour. And uh, and eventually they banned me. Uh, at the time, I was banned along with Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness in Northern Ireland for suspicion that they were involved in murders. I was banned 
for being a religious person. Really? I was banned. You were banned? How can he ban you? What does that mean? I applied for a licence as soon as the 1996 Act uh, became law, and I received a letter back from the radio authority saying, effectively, you can't apply for this licence because you're a religious person. So I was banned, and I then fought the Blair government all the way to the European Court of Human Rights, the highest court in Europe. And in the end, the court wouldn't make a political decision. They deferred it back to the parliament in Britain. So a group of us, whole group of us, had to appear in front of the Putnam Committee, uh, made up of members of the House of Lords and House of Commons. And the end result of that was that we uh, didn't have any restrictions in digital broadcasting or on the internet for um, religious or Christian content. So we're not treated like some sort of um, special category like pornography or whatever, Mm. part of the mainstream. And so in the end, it was a success. But it cost an arm and a leg. It was a real battle. And uh, a number of others, particularly actually Patricia Hargreaves from UCB, worked away at that, and um, it ended up as a successful uh, lobby, if you like. It did get laws and regulations changed so that we could do what we want to do, but it cost a lot. It cost a lot in all sorts of ways. Yes. I hope you don't mind me saying, but it cost you a lot in your family as well, being away from for such, such a long time. Family and also, you know, I didn't get on well with the board at UCB. These guys from Australia and New Zealand couldn't really understand what I was doing in Ireland. They couldn't really understand what I was doing with the uh, court case. And um, so I actually had to set up the the, uh, the Centre for Christian Broadcasting in separately in order to finish the job. And so uh, it cost a lot. Yes, it cost a lot. Yes. But uh, the UCB board didn't really... I don't think they really understood uh, what was at stake or what was involved. So that was a bit of a battlefield, going from one battlefield with the laws back to the board of UCB, who were keen on uh, other things, really. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was the managing director. So it wasn't an easy time, you know, a lot of conflict. Yeah, yeah. So you joined UCB in 1988, and it's taken over 10 years of your working life to get it to fruition so that we could have Premier Radio in London, other Christian radio stations in the UK, TV stations broadcasting Christian stuff as well, all that, but it cost you 10 years of your life. A bit more than that. Uh, I resigned from UCB in 2001, so it had taken 13 years by then, and it took another two, three, four, five years to mop up, if you like, the various challenges in Northern Ireland, in the Irish Republic, and in uh, Westminster to get not just the law changed so we could have Christian stations, but most specifically the law changed so we could have Christian stations broadcasting digitally, whether it be uh, via satellite or or, um, uh, the internet or DAB, digital radio licenses. And that's the key, really, is having the freedom in all the areas that you need to be able to deliver the service to people. I said to a, a guest last week on the podcast that, you know, if I had invented a time machine, let's go back in time and have a look at such and such. If I did have a time machine and I go back in time to like 1988 and say to you, Gareth, guess what? You, I know what you want to do. You want to do all this radio stuff. There's going to be a thing called the internet you don't know about yet. That's going to come through and everything else. But it's going to cost you about 16 years 
of your working life, of which you might get a couple of hours sleep a night if you're lucky. More than a couple of hours, Martin. Not not that <laughs> not many, but more than a couple of hours. Okay, it's going to cost you not seeing your family, all that sort of stuff. Would you still have gone ahead? What would you've done? Well, I'd like to think that I would have still been brave enough to go ahead. Of course, you know, if I'd known then what I know now, you know, I would have been really quite frightened. But you know, hey, what's the purpose of living if you don't actually do? Yeah what you're called to do if you're a Christian. What's the point of living? Might as well go and die. You're not going to do anything. That's very true. Well, what about your faith at the time? Then? Were there ever any times when you thought, oh, flipping it, God, I'm fed up with this. I'm just going to quit. What about that? Uh, well, many times, but, you know, I've never, I've never given up on God. God's been very good to me. God's helped me through all sorts of uh, straits. Uh, he didn't help me much in that bad moment in front of a whole conference that you missed, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the exception. <laughs> that was before I got involved in Christian broadcasting anyway. So, you know, I, actually you have to go through things like that to learn the lessons, really. So, you know, lessons learned, I'm just carrying on. I, I think Jesus is is my best friend. Jesus is my most forgiving friend. Jesus is my most gracious friend. And uh, I'm still doing what I'm doing, inspired by him. And uh, however things work out, you know, things could still go disastrously wrong. But however things work out, I will stick with Jesus and I will thank him for you know, all the opportunities that I've had. And hey, uh, there could be loads more opportunities in the future. So let's just carry on. Brilliant answer. I mentioned earlier on as well, you wrote a book, an e-book, shall I say, called Scandalous Christianity, which I get a nod at the very end, <laughs> which is another story altogether. Why did you write that book there, Gareth? Well, there's a very quick answer to that, to this story, Martin. I, I wrote that really as a challenge to UCB and their board, really, to try and kind of change their ways. Uh, they took no notice, <laughs> and I decided to take the book down you know, if nobody, people don't want to learn the lessons, then, you know, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, there's no point in pursuing it. UCB were not interested to put in place changes that they, they needed to do. Uh, so I took the book down and we move on. Wow. Quite something to do that, I would have thought. What did you actually want to see happen, though, out of this book? Well, it hasn't happened, but, you know, I, w I would have liked to see a whole variety of changes of attitude in terms of people and finance. And, and I understand this. Ministries do get sort of go down the line where the ministry becomes more important than the people. And they become, there's a lot of money, and there was a lot of money at UCB. It's a multi-million pound uh, operation. It was a multi-million pound operation. When I left, I mean, when I arrived, it was effectively bankrupt and... Um, when I left, it was a multi-million pound operation. But really, you know, you've got to go back to basics. And, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I don't want to really go on talking about UCB. Yeah, yeah. I'll say just one thing, though. When I, when I left in 2001, I left behind the Word for Today and two Christian radio stations. So here we are 22 years later, uh, maybe 20, heading on to 23, and uh, as far as I can see, UCB's main activity consists of the Word for Today and two Christian radio stations. Now, they've worked their way through a few hundred million, I, I think, probably 
since I was there, that isn't a huge amount of creativity to show, considering the creativity that happened in the previous 10 years. So I would have liked to see more creativity. But I don't want to, you know, UCB is a good ministry. The word for today is a good resource, very good resource. I read it myself. So I'm now a customer <laughs> of my own creation. And, and it was originally created by Bob Gass in America, but it's a very American thing. It was a, a sort of pocketbook. And uh, we, we had to turn it into something more friendly and English somehow. Uh, we changed the shape of it into an A5. We made it colorful and uh, did all put pictures on the thing and uh, made it made it more attractive, changed the content. Uh, we had to change a lot. It failed at the first launch in 1993. And then a group of us, small group of us, um, again, actually inspired by Patricia Hargreaves at UCB there. Uh, we, we, well, I, well, they all decide, they all persuaded me to relaunch it <laughs> because I made the decision to drop it because we faced a lot of opposition. That was the problem. And we relaunched it and it then took off and it's never looked back. What kind of opposition did you get then? Uh, people writing to me saying, you know, we give you this money for broadcasting. You've now gone into publishing. There are loads of publishers. Why don't you do some broadcasting? If you don't do some broadcasting, we are not going to stop giving you money. And it's one thing to stand up to one letter like that. But when you get a whole load of them phoning in and writing in, then it's quite a challenge, uh, especially if you're in charge of a ministry that is financially on a very weak footing, which it was. Now, how do you cope with all those criticisms coming your way? Well, at first, I, I stopped, stopped the word for today. And then there was a plan put to me to relaunch it. So we relaunched it and took the risk of alienating those people. But loads more people became involved, loved it. And as I say, it took off. Thank you for sharing what you've shared so far. And obviously, pioneering equals challenges. For those that are listening today, some of them might say, well, it doesn't half sound a bit bitter towards UCB and angry towards UCB. So over to you, sir. How angry and bitter are you still towards UCB and what happened? Well, you just have to forgive and forget. You know, life's not long enough to be messing around, getting stuck with things. So the answer is forgive and forget and move on. Simple as that. That is a very good answer. But some people would say, though, I'm really struggling with that. So what would you say? Life moves on. UCB is a good ministry. It's uh, getting on with the job, getting on with the word for today, getting on with the broadcasts. So praise the Lord. Um, and I've got the things that God's called me to do in my life anyway. So, you know, I concentrate on the Lord and the future and bless them. You know, God bless them. If we're talking about business, whether you're in marketing or selling or whatever, you know, there are basic fundamentals as to how you go about your product and how you go about selling and how you go about marketing, things like that. So within Christian business, what fundamentals would you say is paramount for those that are wanting to start out or currently are in a Christian ministry sort of thing? Well, there's many challenges. I mean, you could, uh, the answer to that probably could put that in a three-month course. I think you just have to follow God's leading and uh, try and get good counsel. Don't get uh, tied up with things on your own. Get, get working with others. You know, there's no certainties, especially at the moment, in uh, all of these things. And uh, you just have to work away at it. I mean, I have these little sayings, the two Ps, prayer and perseverance. 
Um, that's the approach I've taken in my life and I've faced many challenges, yeah, yeah. particularly at the moment. We want to set up a Christian news TV service to finance that. We entered into a an overseas medical uh, financing project. It's coming to its uh, final conclusion. It's cost a lot of money. We still need to find some more money just to try and hang in there and get the thing finished. And it's been the hardest business uh, activity I've ever been involved in in my life. Uh, if I'd seen what it was was ahead, I'd have never gone into it in the first place. But hey, we are where we are, and we just carry on, pray, and persevere. The two piece, and let's see where God leads us. Do you remember me saying to you years and years and years ago? And I do mean that because we, we first met in 1994 when I joined um, UCB with you. We talked about Winston Churchill, and I said, "Never, never, never, never give up." I do remember that. So. How many times did you want to give up? I think sometimes I'm tempted to give up every day, but the reality is that it becomes part of you. Never, never, never give up. I mean, what do we live for? You know, you might as well get on with your calling. Uh, serve the Lord. Uh, one of the best things that's happened for us recently, we became involved in a church uh, here in Wrexham in North Wales, the Hope Street Church, a plant, a Church of England church, but it's a fantastic church. Uh, started up from nothing in the middle of the town, took over the old Burton's building and um, about 100 yards away from the huge parish church, actually, with, with whom they work very well, or we work very well. And I throw a lot of my efforts into that. You know, it's very important to be in a good church and have good people around you who are encouraging. Mm. So that helps as well. I remember in our early days at UCB when we were having to pray for money to come in, basically. I've always remembered this because to me, it was like a fine line between putting God first or putting your finances first. What do you remember of those times? Uh, well, great difficulty, really, um, praying money in from nowhere. I've had to do it for pretty much most of my life. And um, I'm also aware at times I've had to borrow money and uh, very keen to, uh, to get that chapter closed and get repayments in place for this latest project that we were involved in, which actually, uh, did, you know, we, we ran into some terrible problems. We we had in, involved in the medical financing area and we were hit very badly by COVID. Yeah, you said, yeah. And to be honest, there's no other way to put it, involved with China. And a number of the people we were involved in, in fact, most of them really, actually ended up... Um, dying from covid so it's gone through some terrible stuff yeah. uh, that's been a real revelation to me to see things go wrong and but for god you know we've been able to hang in there i'm still alive i've got a bit of life left like about 30 or 40 years i'll carry on till i'm 120 if i can uh, or at least 100 and uh, there's plenty more to be done so Hey, back to the peace, prayer, perseverance. I think you added one on the end there, peace. I, I didn't, but you can do that. Prayer, perseverance, and peace. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, because to me, it was always like being on a knife edge. Do we put business first or do we put God first? I'm sure there must be other Christian charities out there that are walking this, this tightrope, this little knife edge. What would you say? You certainly have to put God first. You certainly have to put God first. And then at the end of the day, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. And if you put God first, then all the other things in life will fall into place, even if it takes years. Mm. 
I think we we have to pray prayers that uh, are prayers of faith. There's no other way to put it. You know, you step out in faith. The one I my favourite actually from a man called Charles Caps, and I've been trying to pray this actually every day, really going through some very difficult times. And basically, what it is is a very short one. I am, or we we are, if you like. I am far from oppression, and fear does not come near me. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Whatever I do will prosper. I boldly declare that I will walk in prosperity. I will walk in health and peace of mind, for your word causes me to prevail. And that's the key there. Your word causes me to prevail. Ultimately, we're dependent on God. Prayers like that ultimately require God to respond, to be answered. And uh, I've had to stand on faith, stand on the word of God, trust in the Lord for pretty much all of my life. And it's not been without its challenges. Yeah, yeah. Would it be fair for me to say that there have been times where you have seen well-meaning Christians from other charities, for instance, who are actually putting God second and business plans first? Uh, well, yes. I mean, I, and it's all too easy to do that. But I'll never forget, I, I actually, a man called Canon Goddard uh, set up a um, um, what was basically a student uh, residential house. It was a large old uh, uh, Edwardian house in the middle of Liverpool. And I went and lived there for a few years while I was a student at the university, surrounded actually mostly by uh, overseas students from the Tropical Medicine School. Mm. One of the things he taught me was and told me, which I think was very valuable, is when you set something up, try to put a chapel in it. You know, and so the centre of this uh, building was the chapel. And I did actually put a, um, a sort of chapel you did. into the UCB building at Handchurch very deliberately because um, you need somewhere. Now, you, we, we used it for some meetings and other things, but you need somewhere where people can go in a quiet moment, a quiet place if they need to pray in a ministry, just as in any other organization, especially in a ministry, somewhere you can go and you can pray and concentrate on the Lord and be with the Lord in, in a quiet place. So that's why we had a chapel there then, all because <laughs> of Canon Goddard. Yeah, yeah. All these things are, are biblical, you know, they've all come out of the uh, the Bible and it's um, go and find a quiet place and uh, seek the Lord and it doesn't half make a difference. Well, from Canon Goddard, that leads him very nicely into the, the hero slot. So, Gareth Littler, who is your Christian hero, please? Well, I've chosen Charles Capps, a farmer from England in Arkansas in the United States. Yes, a man from England, but not in England. He basically grasped hold of some basic Bible truths from the Bible and started to write small books, little booklets, and then further books, and in fact ended up um, as a full-time Bible teacher. And I think this man was particularly influential. He's gone to, gone to heaven now, gone to be with the Lord, but his whole approach was calling things that are not as though they are. And uh, that principle uh, for calling things uh, not as though they are is a spiritual principle uh, in which everything physical became manifest. If you think about it, God created light by calling for light when there was only darkness. So I go back to my prayer, 
which I've taken from one of his booklets. And it's this prayer that um, I think kind of defines, in a way, my approach to life. I'll just quote it again. Mm. I am far from oppression and fear does not come near me. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Whatever I do will prosper. I boldly declare that I will walk in prosperity. I will walk in health and peace of mind for your word causes me to prevail. Uh, as I say, it requires God to respond, because if you think about Galatians 3.13, it says Jesus Christ set us free from the law of sin and death by paying the price for us on the cross. So, you know, that's got to have made a difference and uh, build on that with our prayers and putting them into action in life. It's, uh, it's a very short summary on Charles Capps, but he's been very influential, a very faithful man. And of course, I had a bit in common with him in that we both started off as farmers in England, but <laughs> two different people. How long ago are we talking about when Charles Capps was around? Uh, we're talking about the uh, uh, 80s, 90s. That was the main period. Now, I don't want to go into all the details of the faith movements in America, because Charles Capps would have been a man that they would have been inspired by. Mm -hmm. And you do have to be careful. You can't just take things for granted. But at the end of the day, that's what the Christian life, I think, is all about. Praying, prayers of faith, praying for people, and expecting those prayers to be answered. And if God chooses to answer them, he will answer them. Yeah. Also about taking risks as well, I think, isn't it? Christianity. We've said it many times, Martin. Yeah. How do you spell faith? It's R-I-S-K. It is. Well, hopefully people are going to be inspired. And the fact that you mentioned the P word, prosperity, <laughs> they can be so... So taken the wrong way these days. But by praying, that's what you're saying, isn't it? How you will prosper by praying. Yeah, for me, the P word is prayer. God may choose to prosper you. If he chooses to prosper you, well, praise the Lord. The answer is, what are you going to use that prosperity for? Use it for God. Uh, but the key word for me is prayer, which brings me on to another subject. Go for it. We spend a lot of time helping to create and develop the word for today. And uh, for myself, that actually wasn't the only daily devotional. We inspired another one called Living Light, which is produced down in Essex at Mulberry House. And Living Light actually is very popular in the prisons. So slightly different, slightly different approach, but the same basic thing, a verse and then an explanation built on that verse and then a very short prayer at the end. And I have to say... They've been become my lifeline, really. I struggled, struggling a bit with the Bible in recent months. So it's so helpful to be able to open up Living Light and Word for Today. And further to that, we have a, another development from another person. But basically, we have Start the Day, which is on the internet. And Start the Day is re a really interesting development. So you basically have a, a verse, uh, some scriptures, uh, followed by a short. Uh, explanation development on that for today and then prayers for family prayers for friends prayers for the world prayers for our leaders and then a uh, hymn or a worship song my first approach to it was start the day is a, a lazy man's quiet time but now i've come to realize actually it's a very disciplined approach and if you take the trouble to open up your phone or the computer and put startthedayco.co.uk on the screen, 
at the beginning of the day, it's a very good discipline to have uh, a more comprehensive, quiet time with the Lord, inspired by that, uh, I don't know whether I'd call it a devotional, a development for the internet and the digital world of the future. You know, for your own personal devotions, it can really help if you get into one of these uh, systems that puts a discipline into your life where you're praying every day. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And it was interesting that you said that you, know, you, you were struggling on reading the scriptures because my podcasts are for those that go to church, don't go to church, you know, and are struggling at the moment. So if Gareth Littler can struggle reading scriptures from time to time, then, you know, we're OK. We're not the only ones. Gareth Littler has struggled with the Bible for all of his Christian life, I have to admit. It's not the, the simplest of books, but it's, uh, it's the most valuable handbook in the world because it was written by the creator of mankind. Well, very quickly then, why, why have you been struggling all your life reading the Bible? Uh, well, I've set to to read from the beginning to the end and uh, struggle to get halfway and all sorts of things. You know, I, I found it difficult to extract the things at times. And at other times, I have to say, you know, I've opened the Bible up and the words have just jumped mm. out off the pages at me. So uh, it's a bit of a mixed uh, experience. But I'm sure that all of us at some time or other find, you know, we're going through difficult times or whatever. And you, sometimes you just have to see it through when it doesn't seem to be that fruitful and the uh, the words don't seem to fit somehow to the times when they do and you're back on the road with the Lord again, getting a daily inspiration. 1994 is when we first met. We still know each other. I can still talk to each other even in 2023 going into 2024. Gareth, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. God bless you and God bless you all.